On today's show, we'll complete our breakdown of Ted Bundy's killings in Oregon and Washington, including his most risky killings at Lake Sammamish State Park. We'll then follow Bundy to Utah, where the killings continue, and discuss how authorities finally got an ID on Bundy and discovered the bodies he buried at Mount Taylor. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you were shocked and awed by the depth and breadth of Mike's encyclopedic Bundy knowledge last week, stick around. Let's see if he still has the stamina for a round two. This is Necronomapod. Lake Sammamish State Park. On the day these scenes were filmed, someone, calling himself Ted, asked several young women individually to help load a canoe on his car. Four that we know of said no and walked away. Two others disappeared from the beach. Months later, police found their remains along with those of several other young women. The Ted witnesses described was shown in posters, but in the beginning, Bundy was not a suspect. He says police were looking for a criminal type, not a clean-cut law student like himself. They get hundreds upon hundreds of leads. Which one are they going to pick? The law student with no criminal background, or are they going to, you know, go after the weird, you know, the real weirdos? So uh, I was pre-gaming before I came over in the interest of all fairness with uh, a, a truly very delicious hard seltzer. And Dave was just telling us about the uh, red, white, and blue Smirnoff ice drink he had this weekend. <laughs> Is this what we've become? <laughs> Apparently so. I mean, fucking delicious, though. They taste like bomb pops. Tastes like they? America. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like America. Tastes like America. They are pretty, uh, if you see them like in the bottles, they're just like a bright blue, pretty drink. There's no trace of alcohol detectable when you drink something like that. It is literally like drinking a melted at all. That's it. Yeah. You could drink a 12 pack in like an hour and a half. And then just throw up red, white, sugar from the sugar. (laughs) 5,000 grams of sugar you just inhaled. But yeah, they are quite tasty. I would even ice myself so I didn't kneel down and drink it quicker. Dave, you've been iced. Oh, damn it. Okay. It's like nobody in the room. <laughs> Silent chugging it. There's like like blue drink coming out of his lips, just like drooling down his chin. All right. Well, I'm on the vodka now, so. Okay. Very we'll nice. Very goes. nice. What do you got? You got the citrus uh, truly. 100 calories. That's a lot. It's a cheat day. Yeah, I know. Well, I had Culver's before I came over here, so. <laughs> so it's a cheat day. It's a super cheat day. Yeah. 100 calories is a lot. Oh, but I had Culver's an hour ago. Okay, buddy. Double smash burger with mayonnaise loaded up on it. Probably some yeah. cheese curds. I did have cheese curds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yep. So we're back to Ted Bundy. we got a lot to get into tonight. So uh, might as well just jump on in. Part two. So where we left off on part one, young women around college campuses in Washington and Oregon started to disappear at a rate of one per month, starting in 1974. Bundy had found a spot on Mount Taylor in Washington that he was using as a burial ground for his victims, and we established a solid MO for him. Bundy would wear a sling or sometimes use crutches and act like he was dropping books or something along those lines. And at that point, he would ask a young college student for help carrying the items back to his Volkswagen Beetle. If the young woman took the bait enough to turn her back to him or bend over, Bundy would hit her in the head with a crowbar. And the rest is just kind of assumption based on Bundy's half-assed confessions. Around 11 p.m. on May 31st, 1974, former UW student Phyllis Armstrong said that a man walking with crutches 
asked her if she could help him by carrying a gas can to his Volkswagen Beetle. Once they got to his car, the man asked Phyllis to get inside and help him start it. But thankfully, Phyllis got bad vibes and quickly left. About three hours later, 22-year-old Brenda Ball went missing. Was the can full? Could she have doused him and lit him up and did the world a favor back then? Probably, yeah. Missed opportunity. While Bundy was trying to abduct Phyllis Armstrong, Brenda Ball was drinking at the Flame Tavern in Burien, Washington. Brenda was a regular at the bar, so almost everyone there knew who she was. According to people at the bar, Brenda stayed until close, which was around 2 a.m., and there was a band playing there that night, and Brenda asked one of the members for a ride home. The guy said he wasn't headed in that direction she needed to go, so Brenda decided to hitchhike. You think that guy feels bad now? Probably. I would think so, right? I would. Yeah. I wonder about like how much out of the way it was to, you know. Also true. That's fair. You don't want to. Well, no, no. I mean, like, if you're like, oh, fuck, it was only 10 minutes. That's what I mean, but yeah. it, maybe it was further. We don't know. We're just judging the guy now and shitting <laughs> on him. And he's like, it was two hours out of the way. <laughs> He had to make the next town for his next gig. That's right. When Brenda didn't show up at her apartment, her roommates didn't think anything was wrong. Like many of the young women we're going to talk about in this story, Brenda was living that free spirit life. She hitchhiked all the time and wouldn't come back to her apartment for days at a time. After almost two weeks, her roommates started to get worried. At this point, Brenda had been gone longer than she'd ever been gone before. And the biggest thing is that all of her clothes were at the apartment and there hadn't been any contact at all. I want to live that free spirit life. That's not for me. No? <laughs> me either. How's that, how's that work? You just start going, just go, I guess. Just yeah. go. Clothes that you have on your back, just go. Now live. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> not at all. No. I changed my <laughs> mind already. <laughs> like, Dave, Dave, you like to be in bed at nine o'clock every night when we're not recording. I don't know if this life's for you. <laughs> don't know where you're sleeping. That's a good point. <laughs> little where I lay my head is home type action. Yeah, like, do I, have to <laughs> I need a comfortable bar? pillow. That's just not going to work. <laughs> like the, band, the band doesn't even come on until like 1130. You ask people to ball. Hey, can we go back to your place? I just need to crash. It's not, they're like, dude, it's, it's 845. Relax. <laughs> One of her roommates went to the bank Brandy used and asked if there had been any activity on her account. When the bank teller told her friend that there hadn't been any activity, Brenda's friends decided it was time to call her parents. 16 days later, on June 17th, Brenda Ball was officially reported as a missing person. Try doing that tomorrow. Go to the bank and ask if your friend's uh, account has had any activity. Yeah, be like, all right, see ya. (laughs) Nice try. Different times. Uh, Try getting information from them if it is even your own actual account. Good point. It's not so simple. (laughs) Uh, What's your mother's favorite food and when she was four years old? That's your secret question. Bundy didn't really give any useful information regarding what he did to Brenda Ball. His longtime girlfriend, Liz Copler, later said that she specifically remembered the night of May 31st, 1974, saying, quote, It was a Saturday night and my parents came out from Utah. The tradition in the Mormon faith is that when you're eight years old, you get baptized. And so I was going to have my daughter, Molly, baptized, and my father was going to do the baptism. We went out to dinner the night before, and Ted treated us all to pizza. He was in a big hurry to go after we were done with pizza. The next day, he didn't show up. He completely missed the baptism. He was probably two hours late. After it was all done, he showed up at the church. I forget what he said was the excuse, car trouble, or something like that. 
I was mad because he was making me look bad in front of my parents. But you know, never in our wildest dreams did we think he was out abducting people. Liz's mother also kept a diary, so we can corroborate what Liz said. Under May 31st, her mother's diary says that Ted took them to pizza and pipes for dinner and then dropped them off, saying he had to go home. Mm. That was Mike's college nickname, Pizza and Pipes. He'd yeah. make, uh, make the girls the 99-cent Tostitos and then lay the pipe to her. The rest <laughs> of the night. I think it's well established on the show. Maybe it wasn't. That was back in like the Discord days. Uh, I do not prefer that 99-cent pizza. That's your gimmick. Totinos. What did I say? Tostitos? No, we used to be 99-cent Totinos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't eat those. I, I'll do the those pizza Those are delicious. I, they're okay. I love them. At a drunken night, sure, I could see that. I'm, I'll do the Totinos pizza rolls. Mm-hmm. I splurge that extra, you know, four ninety nine to get the, the big hundred bag <laughs> mega pack, and I'll make them five, and I'll eat the other ninety five, and then you get the pipe. There you go. Eat up, <laughs> eat up, toots. It's piping time. That piping is a weird, hop. Now you're getting piped down. This is a weird name for a restaurant, right? Like, what's the pipes? I looked it up. There's a big organ in there. Oh, in cool. the restaurant. That's kind of cool. Sounds annoying as fuck. Fucking weird. You want to hear organ music while you're eating your slice? I don't think I do. This, or, does somebody actually play it or is it just kind of there for like it, decoration? This one, I believe this one burned down when I was investig. I was doing an investigatory on in pizza and pipes. In <laughs> like what the hell is this? Yeah. I think yeah. it burned down. looks like there's other ones though. So other never heard of it. I kind of miss the days of there being like pizza joints where like you go in and eat pizza, right? Like maybe like a red tablecloth kind yeah, of place. Like it's all like it's takeout now. Most places like you could still go sit in a pizza hut, but why would you No, pitcher uh, beer? Yeah. Like there's oh, that yeah. place in town masters pizza. You could do that there still. Mm-hmm. I would like, I, I, I miss that. It's like, more of a sterile fluorescent vibe though, versus like an old time pizza restaurant. Right. Not the dim lighting. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta have the dim lighting. And I don't think they have like the little, uh, like the pepper shaker thing on the, uh, Parmesan and, uh, red flakes, the on red the table. flakes. Like you need that on the you table as to. well. It's mandatory. Yeah. I don't know. Just something it needs to come back. Maybe we'll start a pizza place. I wish someone would open one of those. I think we should. Maybe you should bring back pizza and pipes. We'll look into it. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not completely clear where Bundy was living at the time of this murder. Some reports say an apartment, what I'm assuming is in the one that he used to get revenge on Marjorie Russell, that girlfriend that he did like the couple years long revenge thing on. What do you mean, Marjorie? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Other ones say that he was renting a room uh, like a communal living, like tenement house kind of thing. Either way, even though things with Liz were serious, he wasn't living with her full time. During his interviews with Stephen McCod, where Bundy was doing that weird third person stuff, he said that the quote killer would have probably changed his MO for this murder, that he probably chose a hitchhiker as a victim because so many college students were going missing. Investigators are quick to call bullshit on this claim. And this theory makes the most sense to me is that Bundy decided earlier on May 31st that he was going to kill a victim that night, but there was only a certain window of time that he could attack a college student. He prayed around college libraries and things like that. So in an effort to start looking for a potential victim at dusk, Bundy rushed out of dinner with Liz and her parents. By the time he found Phyllis Armstrong, it was already 11 p.m., and there weren't any other options around campus. So when Phyllis got creeped out and took off, Bundy's only option was to attack a hitchhiker. It, this wasn't some master plan of his to change MO mm. and be, you know, right. the super cunning killer. Imagine being in such a frenzy 
like that where you're out to dinner with your family and you just can't help yourself. You got to rush them through and get Bur- out there so you can kill someone that night. Burning your mouth on scalding hot pizza <laughs> to get out. <laughs> it's wild. He does that a lot. It's it, risky, right? Yeah. It, it seems like he tries to fight off. I don't know if he tries to fight it off or, or it just seems like it boils over a lot mm-hmm. with him where it gets to a point where it's like, I have to do this. It has now. to happen tonight. Yeah. Oh, speaking of uh, the burning your mouth on the pizza, have you ever seen those horror movie memes? <laughs> like where they put the I don't little think I pizza. Um, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the pizza roll. Pizza roll in yeah. her mouth and like they're screaming. So it looks like their, <laughs> their mouth is burning from the pizza roll. Eating like pizza Tony rolls. Collette and Hereditary. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. Eating pizza rolls is one of the most dangerous games a person can play. <laughs> like you want them so bad. <laughs> and you like either have to have patience or you're just going to burn the shit out of your mouth and that's it. You're just looking at them on the plate like, yeah, think they're ready yet? They're ready yet? <laughs> and then like, you know, you eat like two or three of them when they're when they're super hot, but then you your mouth is just burnt. You can't taste the rest of them. So it's like, was that first three really worth the enjoyment? Because now right. the rest, you're just literally chewing and swallowing nothingness. <laughs> Here's what you do. You make them. You get them on the plate. You let them sit. You go open a beer. Okay. You have that one beer, and typically, I mean, as long as you're not fucking shotgunning it or chugging it, by the time you're done, it's about ready to go. If you're just casually drinking that beer. it's good advice. So you got to kind of think ahead, though. You don't want to get to the point where you're like, uh, I'm done. I just need drunk food. Go ahead. I mean, if you're eating them at the end of a drinking night, which is when I typically would. What else would you? Well, <laughs> lots of times, but. Like, it's like, well, for breakfast. Yeah. What do you mean? What do you eat with your orange juice? <laughs> So you got to kind of take stuff with a grain of salt with that whole third person. But Bundy um, said the, the quote killer would have talked to Brenda for a while on their drive. And when he found out that she didn't have any plans for the rest of the night, he asked Brenda if she wanted to go back to his place and drink some more. He told Brenda that there was a party going on at his place. So according to Bundy, all he had to do was stay focused and keep Brenda at ease. When they got back to his place, there wasn't a party going on. Um, Bundy said that Brenda would have been nervous at first, but she was, quote, drunk and bored enough to go into the house and drink with the killer. Bundy said that they had consensual sex, but that wasn't enough for the killer. So he decided to strangle her, killing her in his apartment. This whole scenario is more than likely bullshit because investigators would find Brenda's skull on Mount Taylor with a huge fracture in her skull that likely came from a crowbar or the tire iron. He's probably just telling Stephen McCod bullshit. Plus, if he was living in just a rented room in a tenement house or something, doesn't seem like it'd be easy to do that, right? It's not an ideal place. No, probably, no. do stuff like so that. He just drove right to the mountain. Yeah, he probably he probably did exactly what he did with every other victim mm-hmm. for the most part. Continuing with that whole wolf in sheep's clothing thing, at this time Bundy was working in Olympia, Washington, as the assistant director of the Seattle Crime Prevention Advisory Commission where he wrote their pamphlets to hand out on rape prevention. After this, he worked for the Department of Emergency Services, a state government agency involved in the search for missing women. At the DES, he met and began dating Carol Ann Boone, a twice-divorced mother of two who is going to play a huge role in Part 3. Probably a good place to learn about police procedures related to missing women, right? Working on that commission? Yeah. That's and, terrifying. And where, that's, there, where there's holes, their <clears throat> response plans and whatever. Yeah. That's what we were talking about last week, too, where he said that um, that the wolf in sheep's clothing thing is probably just as much of a turn on as the killing. 
Just knowing, sitting there on that commission, yeah. knowing he's getting one over that on That he's the one writing the rape prevention Smirking pamphlet. Smirking to himself. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it would have been a little bit funny, Ian, if you were talking about Carol Ann Boone and you were like, she's going to play a huge role in part six. <laughs> <laughs> just let it go. Yeah, just keep, just keep talking. <laughs> what well, actually might be part three or part four at this point. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see when she pops back My in. She looks suddenly isn't so funny anymore. Just became a reality. <laughs> On June 10th, 1974, 18-year-old George Ann Hawkins went out with one of her sorority sisters to a party on campus. George Ann didn't stay very long and only had a couple drinks. Before she left, George Ann told her friend that she was going to the Beta Theta Pi house to say goodnight to her boyfriend and pick up some notes from him for an upcoming Spanish final. Is that the Beta Cuck fraternity, Mike? The Beta <laughs> Theta Pies? That is not. <clears throat> okay. I'm just asking. Nope. It was a pretty quick walk to see her boyfriend, only about 90 feet away. She got there at 12.30 a.m. and stayed for 30 minutes. When she left to walk home, which was only six houses away, Dwayne Covey, one of her boyfriend's friends, saw her and said hi. They talked for about two minutes, where Georgianne brought up her Spanish final. And when they said bye, that was the last time anyone saw Georgianne alive. Six houses! Georgianne had lost the key to the house she lived in, so if she was out, her roommate, Dean Nichols, would stay up and wait to hear Georgianne throw rocks at her window. It's like John Ramsey out here. Did you go get a new key? Is it hard to get a key? Just shatter a fucking window. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> at least she has the excuse of being like a, you know, a college student that probably, you know, they don't have a ton of money. Sure. Ramsey fucking had, was a well-off dude. <laughs> dude, what are you doing? Well, let's break another window. Still the most <laughs> Just stupidly ridiculous things of that entire story. It's so outrageous that it's either true or it's one of the stupidest lies ever. That's true, because he was saying it's like a cover-up. Yeah. But weren't there multiple windows that were smashed? Supposedly. Supposedly it was something he did all the time. Maybe he thought of that afterwards and went down and broke some windows. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just covered. Like, oh, this is something I do. Yeah. I get uh, drunk and I come home and go, Ramsey, smash. <laughs> and he just breaks the window and comes in. <laughs> it's so stupid, though. Yeah, it really is. When 3 a.m. came around and Dee didn't hear any rocks hitting her window and there were no other signs of George Ann, Dee notified their house mother and the police were eventually called. Typically, the waiting time to report a missing person was 24 to 48 hours, depending on the police department. But because there was an obvious connection between most of the college students going missing, police arrived at 7.45 a.m. and launched a search. Police were working on the theory that all of the missing young women had similar appearances. Like the others, Georgianne was a young Caucasian female who was considered beautiful, intelligent, and had long brown hair that was parted in the middle. Police were also working on other similarities. The disappearances all took place at night, usually near ongoing construction work, and were within a week of midterms or final exams. All the victims were wearing slacks or blue jeans when they disappeared, and at many of the crime scenes, there were sightings of a man wearing a cast or a sling and driving a brown or tan Volkswagen Beetle. I think I would have changed my car by now. Yeah, he really loved that that Beetle. Even dying on that hill with the with the beetle, man. We're going to talk about in the upcoming episodes next week and probably the week after that. Even when this motherfucker escapes from jail, he steals a Volkswagen right. beetle to Florida, make his getaway. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> he loves them. Also, like if you're in the business of dealing with like bodies, do you not want something a little bit bigger? 
Like, could you pick a smaller car? Like a big white panel van with no windows? <laughs> I don't know. Also that, too. He liked well, to rip that front seat out, so he had all that, that extra right. room. Yeah. What was it that Ramirez changed after? Was that the one with Feinstein, Feinstein where she came out and said something about his clothes? His shoes. Shoes. Yeah. And he was like, oh, okay. She said, she straight up said, like, size 10. They weren't yeah. New Balance, but something along those lines. She was like, yeah. oh, all right. Threw him right off a mm. bridge that day. So Georgian lived in room number eight of the Kappa Alpha Theta sorority house. A search of her room showed that all of her possessions were still there. When law enforcement interviewed Georgian's roommate, she said, quote, Georgian never went any place without leaving me the phone number where she'd be. I know she intended to come back here last night. She had one more exam and then she was going home for the summer on the 13th. Georgian was nearsighted and usually wore glasses or contacts but she had neither on her at the time of her disappearance. Her roommate told the police that the reason why Georgian didn't have her glasses or contacts with her that evening was because, quote, she'd worn her contacts all day to study, and after you've worn contact lenses for a long time, things look blurry when you put glasses on, so she wasn't wearing them either. Because of her nearsightedness, Seattle police theorized that if the suspect had been lurking in the shadows of the alleyway nearby, and overheard Georgian's name after overhearing Dwayne Covey call out to say hi to her, that the suspect could have easily called out to her using her name to lure her in his direction. And specifically, Dwayne Covey said, hey, George, which everybody called her George. Mm. So police were like, okay, Bundy's sitting in this alleyway waiting. He hears them say, hey, George, even more personal uses a nickname. Mm -hmm. He's a sneaky fuck. That's probably accurate. One of George Ann's roommates was the daughter of a man who worked for one of the local news stations. So this case got a lot of media attention. However, the case quickly went cold with no leads. The only lead was a witness seeing a man in an alley behind a nearby dorm building the night on the night of George Ann's disappearance. No surprise, he was on crutches with a cast on his leg and struggling to carry a briefcase. So obnoxious. Just needed like one good bitch slap. Right. Might have like taken care of this guy. Or like a uh, Ronda Rousey type trying to get abducted. Yeah, she right. fucking whoops his ass and hog ties him on the sidewalk. Yeah, like the one chick or, you know, who was taking like boxing lessons mm-hmm. or something just once. Because he's a big pussy who's got to hit you from behind. Right. If confronted from the front. Yeah. Like there, there's no anything. real, like any physical altercations where any of them had a chance. It was all just sneak attack shit. Yep. Bundy went into more detail about George Ann than he did with the other murders when he was talking to Detective Robert Keppel in 1989. Bundy said he approached George Ann as he was coming out of an alleyway, limping on crutches and dropping his briefcase multiple times. He asked George Ann for help carrying the briefcase to his car that was parked about 160 yards away from where they were standing. George Ann agreed to help him, and when they got back to his car, Bundy hit Georgiana in the head with a crowbar one time, knocking her unconscious, then pushed her in his car and drove away. This part really creeps me out for some reason. Um, but Bundy said as they were driving, Georgian regained consciousness and started incoherently talking about her Spanish final, at which point Bundy hit her in the head again with the crowbar. That's awful. A huge concussion, I'm sure. You don't even know what's going on. Yeah. You're just still talking about last thing that was on your happening mind that you remember. Yeah. Once Bundy got to a secluded area, um, which I'm assuming was Mount Taylor, he said that he pulled Georgiana out of his car and quickly strangled her to death with a piece of rope. Bundy said he returned to the scene three days later, 
decapitated her and took her head and buried it on a hillside nearby. Bundy also said that on the afternoon after he abducted Georgianne, he rode a bike back to the scene and saw that her house was taped off by police, but no one was at the parking lot where he attacked her. Because why would they? It's over a football field away. That That's not even what they're working on, you know? They don't know. So he was able to go and recover Georgianne's earrings and one of her shoes that had fallen off when he was pushing her into the car. God damn, they're just sitting right there. I find it interesting that he has, he appears to have favorites that he likes to talk about and he won't talk about other stories as a way of maybe reminiscing about his favorite ones where, where he thinks he looked clever or things like that, where he went back and, you know, or do you think he's making a lot of that up or just kind of randomly nitpicking? Like maybe. Yeah. It's interesting. I'll, he'll talk about some and not others though. And I think we'll see in the trial later when he's, acting as his own attorney, he's clearly getting off by hearing people recount how they found bodies and things like that. So I think I think he has favorites, favorite kills, favorite victims. He does have a creepy way with some of them of asking witnesses to really go into detail oh, yeah. about it. Like he yeah, like he likes over and it. over and over again. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, dude, you're being a fucking weirdo. Yeah, how does the judge not step in at that point and be like, dude, motherfucker, go sit down. Wait for the judge. The judge loved him. The one judge was like, oh, if you would have done something different with your life, you would have been a good lawyer. Yep. It's like, why are we patting this guy in the back? Good luck to you, son. Yeah, that's what he said to him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Judge. Yeah. There was something really interesting when I was reading the book by Stephen McCloud. Bundy told him that he had this fantasy of people going missing. Part of the fantasy of the killer, which it's him, whatever. He wanted people to go missing. Like when he killed people, he thought that they would just be gone forever and there would be no news coverage or anything. Like no one would miss these people. And when there was news coverage about them or there was a search for him, it ruined the fantasy. It's very, very weird. The guy who thinks he's intelligent. Yeah. Like if I kill them, nobody will, there'll be no talk about him. It's very, it's a very odd fantasy. He fancies himself an intellectual. Hmm. Or or was it more just the fantasy of it? He didn't actually think that, but he, he did it because it got him. The way the quote is, is that it, it, it was always a shock to him and ruined the fantasy to a degree when. But they're looking for this person. Yeah. Like how dare they look for this person kind of thing. Hmm. It's, it's interesting. Odd. What kind of like narcissism is that? Like, it's like almost intense. like how dare they ruin my fetish and my fantasy? Like, who do they think they are looking for their loved ones when I'm, you know, doing my thing, getting off over here? Yeah. And he's hunting in the wrong socioeconomic victim pool if he, you know, looking for victims that no one's going right, to miss. Right. As we've seen with numerous other series. He's killers. better off with the hitchhikers and, yeah. you know, the nightlife scene. I just found that very odd. It's a very How weird his brain war. Yeah. It's very yeah. weird fantasy. Like why? I don't understand why that would be such a mm. big part of it. When we've talked about other people who got off on watching like the news coverage, right? And, like who was it? Oh, I, I've mentioned it before. Who went back to like the scene of the crime to watch them find the body. Oh, uh, our friend, um, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, Peter Curtin. Yeah. yeah. He used to love that That's shit. Right. Like he would go back and hide like in the bushes and watch them discover like the body of the woman he just killed. Or he'd set a fire, like set a house on fire and hide to watch the oh, yeah. people try to put it out. And drop loads as soon as he saw. <laughs> He's the, isn't the one that like like cut the 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 
Goose's head off and like got off on it. Like that was the yeah. first oh, time yeah, like he yeah. came to like the blood. He just straight up came in his pants every yeah. time. When the blood hits the floor, yeah, the Jizz sound hits of it. the zipper. <laughs> is that what you said then? Or is that? I don't know. <laughs> I was waiting, for, I was waiting for a rhyme, and, but I don't know where you go with that one. <laughs> like that's something wild in that in Peter Curtin's brain, right? Oh that, yeah, that you just come and you're yeah. not even hard, right? all brain synapses firing like there was the one where he saw a horse that was like got hit or something was dying mm-hmm. on the side of the road and he just came in his pants i like that the weirdest part for you was that he was coming soft as opposed to like you know a dead horse well, or i mean the whole thing's weird off. like that's to me a little bit more bizarre how about when the blood hits the ground i unchamber my round <laughs> <laughs> all right there we go you're back you got it <laughs> Uh, the other thing at this time, there was a, a panic going around. Uh, yeah, but the police were being pretty, you know, keeping it close to the vest. But the new, like the news media, news outlets, mm. they were piecing this together. A lot of young women stopped hitchhiking. There, there was a big, uh, you know, kind of PSA going out: stop hitchhiking. I know we even had a patron message us that his mother lived in this area at the time. So she started Mm. doing her hair differently. And a lot of women were, if they had brown hair parted in the middle, they started doing their hair different. Just like son of Sam kind of changing their appearance up a bit. Yeah. I wish I could remember that patron's name, but shout out for sending that, that message. It's interesting. Shout out for your mom being smart and saving her life. (laughs) Changing her hair. Yeah. Good for her. That patron might not be here right now. If not, so good on her. So you're saying Bundy would have taken money out of my pocket? <laughs> no, fuck this guy. This guy's a real piece of shit. I'm kidding. Ish. The Oregon and Washington murders ended on July 14th, 1974, with probably the boldest crime we've ever talked about in a serial killer case. On July 14th, uh, it was a hot day and perfect for being outside. And on that day, an estimated 40,000 people were at Lake Sammamish State Park enjoying the day. Two of those 40,000 would end up being Ted Bundy's victims in broad daylight. Ian said the words was a hot day and perfect for being outside. <laughs> I mean, people were trying to cool Sir, off. In the lake. You are way out of line. <laughs> I'm not doing that, but other people <laughs> thought it was perfect. Normal people might like it. Ugh. I mean, obviously there was 40. That's a lot of fucking people. 40,000. I sweat reading that sentence. I went for a three mile walk today in a 92 degree heat and I almost had a heat stroke. Oh, you think you're fucking better than us, pal? I do not <laughs> recommend it. Okay, and Ian's, Ian's over here eating Culver's. Yeah. Either way, I guess I bet you both had sweat underneath your boobs. So who really is the winner here? This is true. <laughs> oh, good for you. Healthy Dave. You're still going with it. I'm trying. Why don't you get a treadmill, man? I have a treadmill. I wanted to get outside, get some fresh air. Two houses down. You're like, what am I doing this? <laughs> I don't want to be outside anymore. <laughs> So this is, he's completely emboldened now, taking risks. He, I, he feels like he's invincible. This is a dangerous uh, thing we're about to talk to this talk is, about for him. Yeah, this is fucking crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Well, I think like you said, I don't think we've ever discussed something more risky. Not that I can think or of. riskier. No. I mean, maybe Dahmer talking, just going outside of his apartment to go down and talk to the police when that kid... Yeah, that was pretty bold. You know, he could have just stayed inside and hid, but instead he went out and talked to the police himself. Yeah. yeah. But 
even that this it's not like he was riskier. out yeah he wasn't like doing that on purpose yeah. you know like he and then what we're getting into like giving his real name yeah other than uh, talking about all of mike's unprotected college sex this is definitely the riskiest behavior that's true <laughs> it was very risky but i survived you did i'm a survivor you're thriving too survive they, and thrive they would could have put me in the movie <laughs> running man and i would have i would have won <laughs> The first victim that day was Janice Ott, a married but separated 23-year-old probation caseworker at the King County Youth Service Center in Seattle. While Janice was lying on the beach, she was approached by what witnesses described as a handsome man wearing a white shirt, tennis shorts, and tennis shoes. The man had his arm in a sling, and people sitting next to Janice overheard bits of their conversation. The man asked Janice for help putting his sailboat that was at his parents' house in Issaquah on his car. Janice said that she had her bike with her and she didn't want to leave it on the beach because it might get lost or stolen. This man assured her that there was room for it in the trunk of his car. Janice then said to the man, quote, okay, I'll help you. Janice was last seen walking away with the man wearing cutoff jeans, a white shirt tied in the front, and a black bikini underneath. As they walked away, one witness overheard Janice say to the man, quote, I'm Jan, to which he responded, quote, I'm Ted. So you walk up to a stranger at the beach and say, hey, will you drive with me to my parents' house to load my sailboat? Yeah. It's fucking bizarre. It's really, I guess really different weird. times, man. I don't know. People were re- seemed real loose with their trust back in the day. Just, like if someone came up to me and they were like, hey, you want to like help me out, come in my car? I'd be like, get the fuck yeah, away from me. Yeah, fuck, dude. No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Sit on the beach. What are you even talking about right yeah. now? Yeah, yeah it just like, seems. Dude, I'm 93 Miller Lights deep. Like, I'm not <laughs> helping anybody with anything. <laughs> Do you not realize it's 105 degrees out here? <laughs> Especially all with all this stuff going on, you know? I mean, and I wouldn't sound like we're getting into victim blaming kind of stuff, but it's just the scenario seems. Well, we're also uh, talking in the day and age when we have cell phones, too. So it's a little different. It is. Sure. We just like, motherfucker, just Google, you know whatever service you need to mm-hmm. help you. Yeah. Ted Bundy would never exist in this day and age. No, not even for a second. He would have been caught the first time he murdered a I college probably right, yeah. girl. Yeah. And who knows how many people he approached that did turn him down. Right. Cause he's probably mm-hmm. not going to brag about that or talk about that. There's a, and unless they came out of the woodwork to say something after the fact, we don't know. So essentially it's just nice people that he's preying on and taking advantage of. And a lot of these these young women were, um, I don't want to say emotional turmoil, but that's what the FBI has listed as a similarity. Janice Ott was separated, um, and she was going through an emotional time with her separation. Yeah. She was kind of, you know, just a little out of it. Most of these young women were either fights with their boyfriends, mm-hmm. different things like that. You caught them at the right time. Yeah. Maybe their guard was down. Yeah. Maybe not even something they normally would have done. Because I can't remember if I put it in the outline or not, but on this day, he at least that we know of, he approached five different women mm. outside of his victims doing the same shit, saying his name was Ted with the sling, and can you t- help me get my sailboat? You know, we always talk about going back in time or going forward. I am changing my <laughs> story about going to the future, and I will go back in time, and I would like to beat Ted Bunny to death with a baseball bat. <laughs> this obnoxious fucking prick. <laughs> With his stupid fake cast. But then you're going to jail, Dave. Why not just turn him in? 
I'm going to take him up to Taylor Mountain. I'm going to fucking bury his skull. I'm never going to find him. There you go. Who did you say you were going to dig up one time and beat their <laughs> bones with a baseball bat? <laughs> Is that what he said? <laughs> yeah. But he's a future guy. Not uh, anymore, buddy. I'm a Bundy hunter. All right. I don't know. Somebody he said he wanted to dig uh, up their bones and beat him with a baseball bat. I cannot bat. fucking stand this remember guy. That. I'm sure somebody will tell us. I just so now this is number one. On your beat the shit out of list. He's at the top now. All right. Four hours later, Denise Nasland, a 19-year-old computer programming student and office assistant, disappeared from the park. She was on the beach having a picnic with her boyfriend, her dog, and another couple. Around 4.30 p.m., she left the group with her dog to use the restroom, and that was the last time she was seen. Her dog later found its way back to her friends while they were searching for her. No witnesses are known to have seen Denise talking with or leaving Lake Sammamish in the company with a man with his arm in a sling. However, Denise was well known to help out anyone who asked for help, so she would have likely agreed to help Bundy without a second thought. She was also fighting with her boyfriend at the time. Well, there you go. This is what you were just saying. Yeah, this is another one that FBI marked is um, in that kind of emotional, Mm. you know somewhat of turmoil i guess which then still goes I, I go back to how many people with like each of these incidents did he actually approach that are just like ignored him or kept walking and maybe people that never gave it a second thought and never made the connection back to who he was sure like you're not just going to get this lucky every time with this one i mean there's at least like i said i can't remember if i put it in the outline later on but at least five that we know of that came forward and said yeah, there was this fucking weird guy who said his name was Ted and he asked for help. Yeah. So, and, and you know, people might have just forgotten about it and moved on with their lives and never made a connection to anything, yeah. which is understandable too, but it's which just, is the normal response. Right. For the most part, for most people, it will be. Right. So that's just, it's just weird that, you know, eventually he's getting to the people that are some, you know, like we said, turmoil yeah. or just overly nice and, and wanting to be, you know, decent human beings which i'm not in touch with that but i think people often try to be i like to think that i'm a nice person like that like a helpful in a safe way like i'm not gonna do the guy that just said get the fuck away from here (laughs) i like to think i'm a nice human being get the fuck away from me man Do you ever stop and pick people up like i've thought about it before sees people walking with gas cans or but, you know, people get robbed because they do that and their boyfriend, whoever's in the bushes. And I have, it's just too dangerous to, to help people these days unless you have your gun with you. Two or three times I've seen either people on the side of the road, like walking like they were out of gas or people that look like they might have been in a small fender bender mm-hmm. and have slowed down and just said, do you guys need any help? And then they usually just say no when I keep driving. That's nice. Yeah. But I, it's not like I'm not stopping even like I slowed mm-hmm. down to the point where if I needed to pull over, I could. But I'm not, I don't think I'm putting myself in any danger. Like, you're not going to get to me. I can right. still just keep rolling. Right. But I've stopped to ask if they needed help. I remember one time I was, like, on an off-ramp. I was getting off on 3 from 71, mm-hmm. and there were people stopped. And it was, like, at night. I think I was coming back from, like, a whatever shift or something. And I stopped and asked if they needed help. I think it was two women, and and but they said they didn't, so I just kept going. They probably thought you were going to kill them. Maybe so, which is smart <laughs> by them, though, too. Yeah. But I, that's my point. You just can't trust anyone. Right. Like if I was them and it was dark and, and I rolled up, like right. you'd be like, we don't know what this fucking guy's atten- intentions are, mm. but keep driving Peter Curtin. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then they'll just call me Peter Curtin. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I guess I do all my stuff with like money related. Like I'll buy people shit mm. or like, you know, how drug market does that thing where they have like the little flyer of what the local pantry needs or whatever. Mm, sure. Like I'll buy stuff for that sure. or give homeless people some money or something. I take it back. You're a good guy. Yeah. I'm not picking anybody. Up. I'm not picking you. anybody up or you are the first recipient of the yeah. cool down media man of the year award. Nice. We'll follow up again next June. <laughs> we'll see, <laughs> see who wins again. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's probably going to be you every year. I am not hard in the slightest right now. <laughs> so you should be. Think a little bit. That's a major award, <laughs> fella. Man of the year. The inaugural cool down media man of the year. <laughs> Wish Dave had his game show, like round of applause. People going nuts. <laughs> so what Bundy told Stephen McCod seems to be pretty accurate with the evidence that would be found later. This quote is from their conversation after Bundy has explained that he found an empty house to break into. He said that this was more than likely a vacation house and he knew that whoever or quote the killer knew whoever owned it would not be coming back anytime soon. This quote also starts after Janice Ott is already bound and in the house. Would the MO be the same with the second victim? Since published reports indicate that a number of women were approached in the same manner that day, and since the first one worked, since he wasn't acting with much restraint, I guess he figured a similar approach would also be successful. Would he change clothes? Probably not. Would there be any alteration in, in his appearance? Probably not. Would the second be taken to the same place as the first? Well, we're figuring this person had fallen into kind of a routine or pattern, and so we'd assume he took her to the same place. We can assume that because apparently the bodies were found in close proximity to each other. Would the second victim see the first victim? Oh yeah, probably. In all probability. Would the other individual still be alive or not? Well, had he been cautious, he would have probably killed the first individual before leaving to get to the second girl. But in this instance, since we've agreed he wasn't acting cautiously, he hadn't killed the first girl when he abducted the second. Would there have been any unique thrill or excitement from having the two of them there together? In all probability, we're probably talking about an aberration here, a unique circumstance. Would the first victim be conscious? In all probability. What happened when they encountered each other? It seems there would be little importance attached to the arrival of the second individual. It seems the person would be more acutely interested in her own welfare and well-being. I suppose if you took, took two such individuals and kept them confined for days or months, they would certainly establish a rapport and be very concerned about each other's welfare. Here, there was a good amount of fear and panic. Most of us freeze under those circumstances. We might surmise that in this case, there was a little interaction as such. This individual would not want interaction, as he did not want interaction on a one-to-one -one basis. What happens then? He'd follow the same pattern with the second girl as the first. In view of the other girl? In all probability, yes. After the sexual assault, he has two bound victims. What does he do now? Well, by this time, his frenzied compulsive activity of that day has run its course. Then he realized the jeopardy he was in. And the normal self would begin to reemerge and realizing the greater danger involved would suffer panic and begin to think of ways to conceal the acts or at least as part of them. So he'd kill the two girls, place them in his car and take them to a secluded area and leave them right away within a matter of hours. 
It's uh, pretty straightforward there. Seems to be very accurate based on how these women mm. were found. Clear as day. He's speaking about himself. Who knows what house that took place in? We don't know that. The which is fucking the house crazy. Probably still don't know. Yeah. Which is crazy. There's some house out there in near Lake Sammamish. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that is creepy. Where this took place at. I feel like if I was not there that week, I might be selling that house. Just, mm. just in case. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Aside from the witnesses sitting next to Janice Ott on the beach, which were the ones who overheard her talking to Bundy, five female witnesses described an attractive young man wearing a white tennis outfit with his left arm in a sling speaking with a light accent, which they said perhaps was Canadian or British. He was introducing himself as Ted, and he was asking for help unloading a sailboat from his tan or bronze-colored Volkswagen Beetle. Four of them refused, and one went with him as far as his car, saw that there was no sailboat, and took off. So the story changes. First, he's going to go pick up the sailboat, then it's helping me unload it. In in the book, mm. um, in the conversations when he's talking about this, he says, like, well, the killer would have tried the sailboat thing, and when one person, or mm. when, when someone saw that there was no sailboat, the killer would have had to switch it up and say it was at a parent's house or something. Yeah, the killer probably would have to switch it up. <laughs> <laughs> now he's doing British accents too. So stupid. Hey, wanker, I'm Ted Bundy. <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> Which is even weirder. Like, why would anybody fall for that? Yeah, right. You know, like not to victim blame, like you said, or, or fault these women, but talking with a British accent be like, weird like who are you dude they all but they said canadian too could being up in the pacific northwest maybe he picked up a little bit of a canadian accent yeah, maybe i mean it's not you know i know minnesota and you know kind of that area has yeah. more of the canadian type accent so you want to help me move this sailboat do you <laughs> i don't know i can't picture him doing an accent no i just can't but they're the only is is this uh these were the only people that kind of heard him use that yeah, and that's what these people, people reported. Mm -hmm. wow. With this, police finally had a detailed description of their suspect and a potential name because he was saying Ted to everyone. So a composite sketch was printed in the newspapers and broadcast on news stations. Liz Kopfler, Ann Roll, one of his DES co-workers and one of his UW psychology professors all recognized the profile, the sketch, and the car and reported Ted Bundy as a possible suspect. But detectives were receiving about 200 tips per day, and they thought that there was no way a clean-cut law student with no criminal record could be their guy. Which, I guess, fair enough, but... Hindered by technology, being able to process and cross-reference all those tips. Yeah, that's a lot of tips for 1974. Yeah, right. And when you hear this, it's like, yeah, no fucking way this guy is doing this. It's funny they all they all knew. They're like, it's that's fucking Ted. <laughs> yeah. That's him. It's his fucking cards, Ted. I wonder how forceful they were. I don't know. Well, we're gonna see in a little that. bit. Liz is really sure of it. Yeah, I knew she reported. I didn't I didn't realize Jaw's mom called him too. <laughs> <laughs> a plethora of people reporting him. Yeah. <laughs> they had him packed, man. They knew. God damn. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, irritability, fatigue, and more. We associate burnout with work, but that's not the only cause. Any of our roles in life can lead us to feel burned out, 
and BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. When I get burned out, my stress level skyrockets. This usually causes me to have crippling anxiety, which then prevents me from getting anything done. I often have to take time to stop, remind myself to breathe, and just relax. Talking with someone about how you're feeling can also help you out, more than you probably realize. Your mental health should be taken seriously. Nothing can cripple your day or stunt your motivation more than feeling depressed, anxious, or sad. We all have a lot to deal with in our daily lives, be it the struggles of work, keeping food on your table, or even paying the bills. Your mental health is one area that you shouldn't have to worry about. So whether life currently has you down, you're feeling unfulfilled, we're all experiencing our own form of strain in our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you could be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Necronomapod listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com Necro. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Necro. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Necro. And thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's podcast. Since Bundy was living his normal life throughout all of this, he was applying to other law schools um, since he dropped out of the Seattle School of Law in August 1974, Bundy received a second acceptance letter from the University of Utah Law School, and he moved to Salt Lake City, leaving Liz in Seattle. He stayed in constant contact with Liz, but he dated, quote, at least a dozen other women. Ted got hit with some reality in the Utah Law School that he wasn't as smart as he thought. He said other students, quote, had something, some intellectual capacity that he did not. He found the classes to be way over his head saying, quote, it was a great disappointment to me. Oh, boo-hoo, fuck boy. <laughs> he found out he's not Mr. Smarty yeah. Pants. Yeah, he did not do well this time around. Asshole. Bundy moved to Utah in September of 1974, but on his way there, he claims to have murdered an unknown hitchhiker in Idaho. Bundy said that he picked up the young woman and then raped and strangled her. Bundy told two different versions of the story. In one, he sunk her body in a river right away. And the other was that he went back to where he left her body the next day to take pictures of her and dismember her. He brings up the picture thing quite a bit in various accounts. And he says like he got rid of them and destroyed them, mm. but like a Polaroid type deal going on. On September 6th, 1974, two hunters came across skeletal remains near a service road in Issaquah, about 17 miles east of Seattle and two miles from Lake Sammamish. King County police sealed off the area, and after a three-day search, two skulls were found along with other bones and patches of reddish blonde and dark brown hair. Through dental records and samples of hair taken from hairbrushes, it was determined that the skulls belonged to Janice Ott and Denise Nasland. There was also a third set of remains discovered consisting of a femur and several vertebrae. It's pretty much accepted that these belong to George Ann Hawkins, but they were unable to be identified, and to this day she's still considered a missing person. The first known murder Bundy committed in Utah was of 16-year-old Nancy Wilcox. This happened on October 2nd, so Bundy himself said that the killer would have been trying to kind of go clean or go straight for a couple months here, which makes sense, you know, the, yeah. given the time frame, but that he was trying to 
not do this kind of stuff, but fresh start, new Ted. Yeah. It's a new, new me, new Ted. Utah Ted. Ted. <laughs> you walk, Mormon Ted. You walked three miles today. New Dave. He didn't See? kill for three months. New Ted. <laughs> Same thing, right? Maybe get those magic underpants when he became a Mormon and it just changed his whole, uh, you know, the magic underpants stopped him from killing. He tried. Yeah. Did his best, I guess. Can we roll back a couple uh, minutes here? We talked sure. about the Polaroids. Doesn't Mike Namapod still owe the fans pictures of BTK poses himself in the woods doing? What was the, uh, did I just say I would do it or did something had to, had to have happened? No, you just said you would do yeah. it. Yeah, it's like 15 people are listening though, so it doesn't hold up in court. <laughs> <laughs> now there's 30,000 people listening, so. Yeah, I believe it was supposed to be like a a reconstruction of the BTK pictures. Right. Eh, maybe in the right setting in the right moment with enough alcohol, that could be done. We'll see what happens. So it's still on the table. It's not off the table. That's it. <laughs> Did someone bring that to your attention? Or is I just hear people ask about it every now still? and then. Jesus Christ. Yeah, we actually see a comment How? pop up. Yeah, they there never forgot. four people listening back then. Not anymore. They want it, man. So people go back three years, three and a half years ago, and they're like, Mike fucking said this. That <laughs> asshole. And pretty then they listen to yeah, every other episode. Pretty much. That's how they And say they it, hear yeah. us talk about all these other things that we never delivered on. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of great ideas on here when we're drunk and, you know, sure. Tom fooling around. But the you and the BTK poses, that seems to be a big one that people would still like to see. Maybe I'm my OnlyFans on. Jeez. Sick freaks trying to get off a knee in lingerie. Yeah, I remember when he's like hanging from the tree kind of with oh, that yeah. weird mask on. There'll be a lot of Ooh, I don't want to hang from a tree though. That's weird. Yeah, he's like all bound yeah. behind and shit. We'll hold you up. We won't let you fall. Yeah. <laughs> you guys just hold like my feet, but like we'll edit you guys out so it looks like I'm hanging there. All I'm gonna say there's probably gonna be a lot of bean flicking once you finally take these photos and release them to the public. Okay. Hey, to each their own if that gets you off and photos of me and you know my hairy thighs get you off have at it <laughs> sorry to derail i just the uh, photos polaroids oh, popped in my head and triggered my question about uh btk i get it speaking of photos that's how this all started i sent you guys a photo a couple hours before we recorded i was out watering my lawn drinking a delicious hard seltzer <laughs> listening to nickelback rockstar as loud as my uh speaker would go like every you know man does and uh, <laughs> I sent you guys a picture of like the speaker and like the hard seltzer. And Ian's like, that looks refreshing. So I was like, I'll bring you some, pal. We all just want to be big rock stars. That's what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> On October 2nd, 1974, Nancy Wilcox disappeared after leaving her parents' home in Holiday, Utah. When Nancy didn't come home, both of her parents thought that she ran away. It sounded like there had been issues with that in the past. The details of Nancy disappearing weren't made public until December of 1974, but this was because other young women and teens had gone missing in that time frame, and by December, it was thought that Nancy was connected to this string of disappearances. A day after Nancy's case was made public, a waitress came forward to say that a girl matching Nancy's description was at her restaurant with a handsome guy that had a mustache and they left in a light-colored Volkswagen Beetle. And keep in mind, Utah has no idea about all the shit going on in, in Washington. This is way before the days of internet and police stations. Yeah, it goes back to the technology gaps. Yeah, and they generally didn't help each other out, police mm -hmm. departments. And that's, the internet's a big thing with that technology, like you said. And then there's some of that ego shit going mm -hmm. on where they, you know, 
and we don't need your help. Yep. Like they had all the information at this point. Like if they could have, I don't know, had some sort of data comparison, whatever they knew like they had, they had Ted, they could have picked them up. Yeah. It's a shame. Multiple people in Nancy's life knew about a guy that was coming into a restaurant that she worked at to flirt with her. Nancy told her cousin, Jamie, that the guy was older and attending law school. Nancy's sister, Susan, recalled a conversation with Nancy where Nancy was excited to see this older guy driving by their house. Susan said that Nancy said something along the lines of, quote, oh my gosh, that's the guy who's been coming into my work. Sheesh. Ballsy. Driving by her house? In 1989, Bundy was interviewed by Salt Lake detective Dennis Couch, and he confessed to the murder of Nancy. According to Bundy, he spotted her walking alone one evening, and there was an apple orchard nearby. He said that he forced Nancy into the orchard, tied her up, and drove her back to his apartment. He claimed to have kept Nancy alive in his apartment for one day before killing her. He wouldn't go into any further details of her murder, and Bundy claimed that he didn't know who Nancy was, and it was completely random. Bundy told Detective Couch that he left Nancy's body near Capitol Reef National Park, but her remains were never found. I saw some theories that he was ashamed of this because she was underage. Like, he didn't want to admit that he basically was grooming her. Mm, Okay. I'll buy that. I don't know, you know, how accurate that was. But it definitely was not random. He had interactions with this girl. Clearly with all those eyewitness accounts. On October 18th, 17-year-old Melissa Ann Smith, who was the daughter of the police chief of Midvale, Utah, another Salt Lake City suburb, disappeared after leaving a pizza place. Her naked body was found in nearby mountains nine days later. Her autopsy suggested that she may have been alive for up to seven days after her disappearance. On October 31st, Laura Ann Amy, also 17, disappeared 25 miles south of Midvale after leaving a cafe just after midnight. Her naked body was found by hikers on Thanksgiving Day, and her autopsy showed that she probably died 20 days after her disappearance. Where's he keeping these guys? He never talked about it. Mm. 20 days, a long time. Both girls had been severely beaten, raped, sodomized, and strangled with nylon stockings. In later confessions, Bundy talked about how he would go back to the corpses of both girls where he would put makeup on them and wash their hair. He tries to backpedal on that in some other conversations that he has and say that, no way, that's a lie. He didn't do that, but it's in police reports. It's like, so who else was doing that? Yeah, right. Someone someone just found their bodies. And, yeah, someone, <laughs> like, Ooh, I'm going to wash your hair. But that is fucking weird. Mm. Well, hopefully someone was able to put some makeup on handsome Ted when he got to prison and so he knew what it was like. <laughs> I wonder what that scene looks like. Which scene? Him going back to this and putting makeup on these women and, do, and washing their hair. Mm. Like, are they sitting up? Are they? Is that all he talking did? Talking to him? Yeah, like, is, yeah, talking to him. There's some necrophilia attached to this story at some point, right? Or at least hinted at. I think this is the biggest hint, but there's mm. nothing for sure. Mm. Yeah, it's weird that you'd want to keep them somewhat fresh. I feel like it would be even weirder if there wasn't necrophilia involved. Like, what was the point? Right, if he just went back to do this. To hang out? Oh, can you even imagine, like, sitting there with corpses? No. And- you could stop the sentence right there. Oof. No. 
I don't like going into like funeral homes. No, it's weird. Just even being in one is, is yeah. just crazy. Yeah. No. Let alone anything else, anything else. Yeah. There's these little odd details when you read the different account, like different conversations with mm-hmm. him or listen to the audio from some of his confessions. It's like, what, what is going on here? Cause this completely doesn't fit with his MO at all. No, not at all. Right. But there's proof of this. This happened. You know, it's in the reports when their bodies were found with their hair had clearly been washed and they had makeup on. Well, and they're keeping them for seven and 20 days, too. It's kind of outside what he was doing up to before. Yeah. Hmm. Or is he just kind of like progressing and getting going further and further with whatever it is he's into? Or is he purposefully changing up his M.O.? So they don't track him to the other murders. I don't know. This is the guy who's or been driving that Volkswagen forever. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>. <laughs> <Maybe> <laughs> Can't change at, everything. Maybe at first it was like, you know, get into what you got to do quick, kill and, and get rid of them. Now it's like, well, let's, mm-hmm. he's bold enough now. You know, oh, I took these two girls on the beach. Nothing happened. I'm going to keep these bodies around a little more. I think that's a valid argument. Sure. Maybe part of it is if he keeps them around, they're still alive. Well, what was this fetish? If they're dead, they're going to be done looking for them, which he enjoyed. When someone went missing, he was upset and it ruined the fantasy if he saw news reports that people were looking for them. Yeah, so that wouldn't make sense then. I don't know. Maybe he's just getting uh, ballsier and thinking, I'm going to keep him alive a little longer and have more fun, you know, doing whatever yeah. it is he was doing. The fantasy's evolving. Right. And adapting, sure. And I wonder if it's like a, um, like a drug high or something. Like after you get used yeah. to something for a while, it kind of gets boring. So you got to ramp it up a bit. I think that makes sense. On November 8th, Bundy approached 18 year old Carol Durant at a strip mall type place in Murray, Utah, less than a mile from the Midvale restaurant where Melissa Smith was last seen. He identified himself as officer Roseland of the Murray police department and told Carol that someone had tried to break into her car. He asked her to go with him to the station and sort it out, and Carol agreed, and as they were driving, she pointed out to Bundy that he was driving on a road that did not lead to the police station. In response, he quickly pulled to the side of the road and attempted to handcuff her. During their struggle, he accidentally locked both handcuffs on the same wrist, and Carol was able to open the door and escape. See the one time he has like an actual altercation? He fumble fucks around, can't get the handcuffs. Exactly. She gets away. Exactly. She's used to doing it while they're unconscious. Right. Or, you know, yeah, attacking them from behind first. Mm-hmm. This was a straight up one-on-one incident. She got away. It is wild, though. To, they interview her substantially in some of those documentaries. And uh, it's just a wild story. It's crazy. It's crazy how that, that badge and stuff can make you completely drop your guard yeah. so much where she didn't even think to say, well, how do you even know what car I drive or anything? You know, how'd you find me in the mall? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. right. Like, oh, it's a p- p- police officer. Which, and that's a very scary fucking thing just in general. There's a TikTok account that I follow that's like a, like a police watch type thing. And they posted a couple of videos where this guy was pretending to be a cop and they caught him doing it. And he, after they like approached this guy enough like the confrontation where he finally started dropping it you could tell this guy was a fucking creep like he was up to something weird it's very scary yeah it is when people impersonate a cop because you don't really know what to do 
right. Well, you're going to tell them to fuck off right. and then end up getting arrested for real or exactly. It's, it's weird. That's why it's an effective means. Later that evening, Deborah Kent, a 17 year old student at Viewmont high school in bountiful 20 miles North of Murray disappeared after leaving a drama class at the school, the school's drama teacher and a student told police that quote, a stranger had asked each of them to come out to the parking lot to identify a car. Another student later saw the same man pacing in the back of the auditorium, and the drama teacher spotted him again shortly before the end of the play. Outside the auditorium, police said that they found the key that unlocked the handcuffs on Carol DeRanche's wrist. Bundy never admitted to murdering Deborah Kent or gave any clues as to where her remains were hidden. And that almost sounds like very frantic, like he's pacing. He fucked up with Carol DeRanche, and he's just back there pacing, waiting for... Probably saw anybody, anybody he could to go outside. Yeah, he they needs said, to have that attack. Because that adrenaline, he was all juiced up. And they said he probably, as soon as Carol got away, he drove immediately, just drove by that school and pulled in and no plan, which goes back to the other frenzy killing with the pizza place that night. Right. In November, Liz Kopfler called King County Police a second time after reading that young women were disappearing in towns surrounding Salt Lake City. Detective Randy Hergesheimer of the Major Crimes Division interviewed her in person, which bumped Bundy up on the list of suspects, but police still had their doubts. The Lake Sammamish witness, which was considered the most reliable by detectives at that point, failed to identify Bundy from a photo lineup. So they at least put him in a lineup of guys. The person that was approached just didn't, didn't pin him. Because he changes his appearance a lot. He's very good we'll at that. We talked later. about that last week. Yeah. He's, it's, it's really, uh, it's actually really creepy how just a, a hairstyle change or just a little tweak to his facial hair can change him yeah. completely. It's like a different person. It's very weird. Liz is on it, though. She knows for sure. She knows. In December, Liz decided to call the Salt Lake County Sheriff's Office and told them what she had been telling authorities in Washington. Bundy's name was added to their list of suspects, but Liz's tip wasn't really taken serious. In January 1975, Bundy traveled back to Seattle after his final exams and spent a week with Liz. Liz didn't tell him about her suspicions or the fact that she had called police multiple times. She made plans to go out to Utah in August of 1975 to visit Bundy, which sounds like it was a way for her to keep tabs on what he was doing until someone ended up taking her serious. That is fucking heroic of her it's a tough spot what do you do yeah. like you you know what this guy's doing and yet you're gonna be brave enough to be like well i'm gonna keep tabs on him then until someone else you know some authority figure does something about it she got a kid too at any point he you know he could just kill you yeah good for her yeah and like that picture you posted on instagram of him and her by that fireplace and stuff yep. she's just going along with it like it's mm. nothing's wrong yeah, just sitting there like a happy little family. Mm -hmm. After Bundy visited Liz, he stopped off in Colorado before heading back to Utah. On January 12, 1975, 23-year-old Corinne Campbell was on a trip to Snowmass Village with her fiancé, Dr. Raymond Godowski, and his two kids. During the trip, Dr. Godowski was planning on attending a cardiology conference in Aspen. So while he was attending seminars, Corinne took the kids sightseeing. On the evening of January 12th, Corinne, 
Raymond and the kids were relaxing in the lounge of the Wildwood Inn when she decided to go up to their room and grab a magazine. When Corinne got to the second floor, she saw a group of doctors who recognized her from the cardiology seminar. So after saying hi, she continued down the walkway towards her room, and that's the last time anyone saw Corinne alive. How in the fuck? Like, this one's nuts. How did he... Yeah, this is how did like he even make stealth this happen? mode type shit. This is weird. And like, was there no surveillance in like the hotels back mm, then? Probably not. Back like every hotel nah. now, there's a, there's a camera on every floor. Yeah. At least by the elevators. Like, how did he get her out of the hotel? Where, where did he do all this? Why are you he, taking he, chances he took like her, that? Took her in a room. I don't know. Knocked her out, put her in like a bed sheet and took her outside. I don't know. Seems difficult. Even that is, you know, going to be obvious, yeah. but still. Unless yeah. you did like one of those, like they had like one of the back stairwells that led to a parking lot. Yeah. Like, there's no like cameras. I said, he's invincible at this point. At least he thinks he is. And, and this is so just weird. I know I wrote it later in a couple paragraphs here, but it's just like she's just straight up vanished. Like yeah. the hotel just swallowed her up. And, and we've all traveled obviously and tons of our listeners and stuff you go to a hotel room with your your partner and stuff and people say all the time like i'm gonna go back to the room real quick and grab something yeah i'm gonna get some ice whatever it is yeah you don't think that's the last time you're gonna see that person maybe he got her out to the parking lot like did the whole like sling carrying a luggage hey can you help me get this to the parking lot and could be they're walking together doesn't look like anything and then boom hits her throws her in the trunk Probably, or like, can you help me carry something up to my room or whatever? Yeah, something. Yeah. Just yeah. If he's if got a sling, hey, help me. After a while, when Corinne didn't come back down to the lodging area, Raymond decided to go up to the room and check on her. When he got there, he saw that the magazine she was going to get was still there, and it didn't look like anyone had been in the room. Raymond called the Aspen police, but they uh, but they had nothing to go on. Like like I said, it's just straight up like Gone. she vanished. A month later, her naked body was found on a dirt road fairly close to the resort. She had been brutally beaten in her head with a blunt object, and she had deep cuts all over her body. In 1989, Bundy confessed to murdering Corinne, but he didn't give any details, just said, quote, I did my thing. He tried to backpedal on this admission, but on the day that Corinne went missing, credit card receipts show that Bundy bought gas in the nearby town of Glenwood Springs, which is just 40 miles away from Aspen. Which, you know, it's very interesting. Um, so a lot of this research I found, I think I said it in part one, that 1992 field guide that was put out to the FBI, mm-hmm. like all the art, like to look for similar offenders or whatever. For the 70s, it's fucking crazy the tabs the FBI had on him, like the the timeline that they were able to piece together. Yeah. Like, I don't understand how they found the gas receipts, if he just kept them or or how, but they have a, huge just trail of him wow yeah it's, it's really interesting i don't know how they compiled that but good old-fashioned police work yep so he was there we know he did this uh also when the fbi analyzed his volkswagen beetle they found hairs that were microscopically similar to hairs from corinne's hairbrush on march 1st 1975 investigators in washington and oregon got their first big break in the case of missing college students Investigators found Bundy's burial site on Mount Taylor when two forestry students from Green River Community College found the skull of Brenda Ball. Two days later, on March 3rd, Detective Robert Keppel found the skull of Susan Rancourt, who had vanished from Central Washington State University in Ellensburg. Roberta Park's skull was the next to be found, 
and the last remains to be found on Mount Taylor were those of Linda Ann Healy, which was just her jawbone. And that's where we're going to pick back up on part three. In part three, we'll continue to cover Bundy's murders, him being baptized as a Mormon, his first arrest and first trial, and definitely not wrap it up. We're going to go to a part four. <laughs> Still got a lot to get to. Never had any doubt. <laughs> I think I learned a lot of details here that I was unaware of previously. And I'm sure Mike, the expert, knew all about them. But well, I just like Ian to tell his story, though. Like you know, read the notes I wrote and just get through it. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. No problem. Great outline, Mike. I mean, it- thanks. And Ian read it really well too. <laughs> but he's the man of the year, cool down media man of the year. So we got to put a little plaque on the wall, like, like the employee of the month, and then like we put the little placard underneath for each name, and it's just always Ian because <laughs> we're pieces of shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime one of us is nominated, Ian just plays a clip of us, you know, wanting to bang Casey Anthony, and we're immediately eliminated from the running. So I don't know. I'm not going to ask final thoughts because we got a lot to get to. But yeah, I think uh, I know Ted Bundy. That story, her his story, has been kind of beaten to death. People just cover it over and over again. There's so many books and documentaries and stuff. But hopefully, we're putting some new information in here for people. The FBI files that I found on him are really, really interesting. Yeah. That clearly, mixed, yeah. That mixed with the book that I was reading, The Confessions with the Killer, is really good. It's very interesting. Good stuff. Um, okay. We got some uh, patron shout outs. Thank you very much to Matthew Corley, David Graves, Joshua Theo, Randy Maurer, Chup, Clint Barnett. Mike's dangling inside out rectum. <laughs> Jesus, pal. <laughs> Don't be a little shit. Santiago Mendez. Jintar Mikovacute. Christian Brown. Izzy. Jason. Difficult Damsel. Noah Young. Mike's Full Balls. <laughs> <laughs> Holly Vol. Mike Jar Squatch. Chef Boyardee cans. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, was that you, Dave? No. Okay. That was my guest for the week. <laughs> I'll probably have more. Stockars, Alexandra Pontiff, Amy Clee, Lucas Wood, Anna, Amy, Simply, Kurt, Emily B, K, Mike Stinky Poon. There's a lot of people obsessed with my name. <laughs> There's a lot of mics out there. Maybe they're just talking about them. Piper Jones, Banshee, Josiah, Maybe Verstinks. <laughs> I think it's my Mike. My yeah, B Verstinks. I got it now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm guessing that one's Dave. <laughs> Might have been. <laughs> Jordan Vasquez, Isaiah Aliyama, Aliyamama, Terrence Went, Ashley Clark, Kate Layton. Thank you all very much. We are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Uh, Ian. For iTunes, I have one for Cindy Magoo 10. Are you kidding me right now, Kelly? Samantha loves Dave. Oh, big fan. But, Samantha loves yeah, Dave. So she she realized that she can just update her, uh, her iTunes review to get bumped back up to the very top. Oh. Yeah. She said, I didn't realize I could rate you guys again. So we, she gave us a second review? 
Uh, yes. If you reword and edit your, your <laughs> review, it just goes back up to the top again. Oh, yeah. okay. So presumably, in theory, someone could do that every week and get their review. And Ian's being Mr. Nice Guy, obviously, cool down Media Man of the Year, and he's going <laughs> to read them every time they do that. <laughs> uh, Bish Please, 44, Lindsay R, 77, Spilling Sin. I like Lindsay R's a review. It said, if I had one complaint, it said, I can't marry Dave. That's a good review. There's still time. <laughs> Charlie Oma, B. Wood, Ford, Miranda, zero, four, nine, eight, and yo, four, one, six. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Actually, Mike, it was, um, if I had one complaint is that I can't marry Dave or flick Mike's nips. So that's our other complaint. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that it was never happened. You will be knocked out cold before you even had a shot to get within a f- inch of these nips. Uh, Dave, the international reviews. I have uh, one for Rhiannon, and then we have an updated one from Nevin Hewitt, upgraded to a five star, even though we ruined the end of Seinfeld for his girlfriend. Um, Hello, 30 years ago, get with the program, (laughs) Nevin Hewitt's girlfriend. Did we actually talk about the finale of Seinfeld? I don't know. They say we ruined it for her. We talked about the, uh, I know we've talked about the curb reunion that they did. Maybe we did get about into the finale. We talked about like the jail stuff one time, how Seinfeld ended. But you know, it wasn't great, but it wasn't awful. Eh, it was just so so. Yeah, it was okay. How would you compare that to the Game of Thrones ending? Um, I didn't. I didn't think the Seinfeld ending was great. It was so just, you, eh. Game of Thrones is better. Okay. Yeah, I feel like once it's like five years old or something, it doesn't count anymore. Yeah. Do you think his, uh, yeah, we can't be held accountable for that. Like that was literally what fucking 1998, 99. <laughs> you think she's seen Ozark yet? Here, let me tell you how Ozark <laughs> ends real quick. I was very angry with Ozark. We shouldn't even get into this. Yet. Yeah. Pissed. Yeah. Let that just watch. ended like a month ago. Yeah. Let him watch that one, pal. I don't know. What's the limit on spoilers? Like a year. Like you have a year to watch something. Mm, no, because people go back and find old shows. I wouldn't do a year. I don't think after a year, though, like if you didn't watch it live at that point, you have to be no. Like anytime you open social media, you might something might pop up with the finale. It's true. After a year. I don't think you, you could be held responsible at that point. Yeah. You think she's seen Stranger Things season uh, four part <laughs> for seven episodes yet? Let's go into them. Let's, let's tell her let's, what happened. Let's. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I think I said this in our text thread. If the second part is the same as the first and it has a good series finale, I would say it's probably the best show of all time, in my opinion. There's one more season, though. I thought the fourth is the last season. No, there's one more. Oh, well, fuck. I don't remember what I'm talking there's about. There's season five, I believe. Ozark uh, is the one ending. Ozark's over. It's over. Or it's over. And I'm mad about it. Yeah. And Stranger Things <laughs> broke up their season four into like a two part thing. But yeah. there's going to be a season yeah, five. Yeah, but I thought there was a season five. I thought there was one more. Well, he's uh, going to look it up. We'll chit chat for a minute. Dave, how would you rank? And I think you and I disagree a little bit on this. The Californication finale. I thought it was great. It wasn't perfect, but it was really good. Yeah, I thought it was okay. It was what it needed to be. It gave you hope. I think that's the case for a lot of shows. There's not really a good way to end some stories, and people are expecting like this genius kind of enlightened Agreed. moment where the show ends but that's not really how things work and i i think some endings get painted in a bad light because people weren't expecting that or they 
or expecting something great. I agree. I, I think this is a two-parter as well uh, with what I'm going to say. Did you know that David Duchovny wanted Hank Moody to die? That's how he wanted the series to really? end. Yes. Okay. And two, I think something like that, like a killing, like a sad ending, actually sometimes makes a show better. Because you're going to kind of have like that feeling of like, oh my God, like there was so much potential with Hank. Like you don't get like that, uh, like, oh, well, they could have done this and they could have done this. And, yeah. you know, like the way California, Californication ended, it was like, oh, there's, okay, he's going to have that hope with Karen. Maybe they're finally going to get back together. Yeah. And if he died, it's like, well, that, you know, his life was kind of leading on that path of addiction and, and being an alcoholic and, you know, just kind of. Mm-hmm self-destruction so i don't know i think there's something to be i don't know if i even made my point but that doesn't matter there's something to be said about a sad ending i feel like sometimes it's better yeah like when tony soprano got the shotgun blast to the head in the diner at the end like that kind of capped off the series but is that but but no i haven't watched it isn't that not what happened though someone walked in to the restaurant well, I don't know. right Watch the show but i, I know the finale because <laughs> It's been talked about because it's been 30 years and I am aware that spoilers are going to get out and I'm not upset about it. But wasn't that one like somebody walked into the restaurant or something and like he looks up like yeah. like they're tinting at like he's always going to have that fear yeah. of what's going to happen. Yeah. To me, that sounds awesome. It was all right. It was a good. Ending. I haven't watched I was the show. Fine with it. I watched yeah, the first episode hammered one night and he mowed a guy over with his car. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll, I can get into this. And then I never followed up. <laughs> Look, I will. I will. Look, hey, Nevin Hewitt, now your girlfriend doesn't need to watch Sopranos. See? Problem solved. <laughs> Solve the four. Can we talk about The Wire next? Let's go through a bunch of stuff. <laughs> so there is going to be a season five. Yeah, I, I didn't. So. Know, I didn't know that. I thought it was over with this one. Mm. I do love this it's season fantastic. so far. It was really good. It, it really might be my favorite show. Depending on how it all ends up, you know, in season five and yeah. whatever. I love um, all the characters in the show. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. I love it. I'll give you a recommendation for a show I started watching. It's called The Offer. It's on Paramount. The office. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. It's on Paramount Plus. It's the story of the the guy that did that produced the the Godfather and his interactions with the mob and, and getting the oh, film really? made and stuff. Really interesting story. I don't know if I, I have love Paramount it. Plus. I gotta sign up for that. Yeah. That the guy cool. in the neighborhood here uh, gave me the recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. I'm loving it. You guys want to ruin some more shows? Let's do this. I'll sit here all night and do that. Well, I can do like three shows that I've seen, but <laughs> you guys can keep going. Lost was fucking garbage the way that I ended. Lost. I was very angry about that. That's weird to me, Dave, that you didn't watch Lost. I mean, it just I'm seems sorry. like you watch most things. This was a huge show. You didn't see this one. Lost had so much potential. I think it, it does not know. seem like a show I would have enjoyed. Yeah. I, I feel like you would have until you know, like season three or four when like it got a little more paranormal type yeah, that stuff. Yeah, that probably would have lost me mm, there. Yeah. And you both gave up on Walking Dead, right? Like you both oh, abandoned yeah. ship a while Years ago. ago. Yeah. And it's still going, isn't it? I think this is the last season no happening. It's like always sunny. It just keeps getting yeah. renewed. Well, the guy that wrote the comic books, he quit. Mm. He just stopped. It was like, yeah, we're done. No one was expecting it. He mm. just was like, yeah, it's done. There you go. I quit as soon as people complained about uh, the Negan stuff being too violent. I'm mm, like, wow. Yeah. That's you the know. story, man. Yeah, that's the story. That's how it worked out. It was like, that was the one, one of the things that they stuck to the comics mm. to the T on. It was very well done. I think that those two, I don't know if that's season 
end of season four and into season five, maybe. That was the premiere, wasn't it? Season or episode one? Yeah, like they it end like the it finale end. ends with Negan and then the it starts up with him. Right. Those are probably the two best episodes of mm. TV yeah. ever done, I think. There you go. As far as like sticking to a comic book and things like that. Like when they plan their attack and they thought they were going to wipe them out and stuff. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. Negan has them down on their knees. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Oof. He's, was he say something like, um, like who's pissing their pants now or whenever he's walking up with that baseball bat. Oh man. But yeah, no, I stopped up. Andy Bernard becomes manager of the office. He does. It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird sentence to say, but he does. So if you're watching Will sorry. Ferrell also Will Ferrell brief for a brief stint yeah, as uh, oh, what was his name? D'Angelo. D'Angelo. Yeah. And he goes to dunk a basketball and it apparently crashes on him and he gets taken off in a, uh, ambulance <laughs> and that's the end. He did like four or five episodes, right? Yeah. yeah. What else? Matthew Santos becomes president in the West Wing. <laughs> Spoiler alert. He wins the election overall. <laughs> Which one to call it? Alan Alda. Alan Alda. That wasn't the plan. They changed that. I know. They changed it because which one to call it died. John Spencer died, yeah. and they changed it. Who was the uh, chief of staff to Jed Bartlett and the series they wanted? But I also heard that I read somewhere that Bill Lawrence, or not Bill Lawrence, Lawrence O'Donnell said that because he was like a, a advisor, mm-hmm. executive producer. But then I I read something from a writer that was like, no, that was that's not true. We never actually had that officially written. Oh, really? Okay, but mm-hmm. either way, like. You watch that and you see those two guys running for president. You're like, can they just both run for president in real life? Because <laughs> right. this is either way America wins. Alan Alda was awesome in that. He was really good. Oh, really good. Yeah. You don't see him in much. Really? Mm-mm. He was in uh, Ray Donovan the last couple of years. I think that's the last thing I saw. Him. Was he? Yeah. That looks like a good show. I haven't watched it. Oh, that's a really good. It looks show. like a really. Is it still on? No. Was it just like a few seasons and uh, did it get canceled? Or did it five a- and then they did like a comeback finale movie. That's like the thing now. Like if you get canceled, mm. somebody's going to pick you up for like the movie, which might be good to like close things out. Like you get yeah. that, you know, not if you're arrested development, Netflix well, ruined that. Well, yeah. well, the first few episodes ruined that one. Pal. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the, the movie, the breaking bad movie was much better than the last few seasons of breaking bad. Really? What, whichever, what, what was the name of the fucking movie? El Camino, I think. Yeah. yeah. I liked the movie a lot. Yeah, it was good. Anyways. I would have been fine with that ending, though, the way that Breaking Bad ended. Yeah. Because Jesse drove away, right? Yeah, he got out of the, In the finale. He yeah. fucking strangled Todd. Exactly. Death. That was right. the greatest thing ever, watching yeah, that Todd was, that get strangled. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> you guys really get so fired up about this guy. If you guys ever met this guy in real life, I feel bad. Like you, I feel like you guys would attack him. We probably would. I don't even want to watch he's movies probably, with that he's guy. He's probably the sweetest dude. I just want to punch him. <laughs> just like this dumb fucking psychopath oh, man. You know, like and dumb in yeah. intelligence he's oh, just yeah. fucking stupid and Oof. wasn't there a movie he was in something kind of recently that i think we all watched maybe i i don't remember it doesn't matter but i mean i agree with you guys that like i think of him from breaking bad i don't want to physically assault him <laughs> like you guys do, but, but i guess he played his part well right yeah like, he did oh yeah absolutely I'm trying to think of an act, something comparable to that. I don't know. We spoiled so many shows yeah. tonight. This is awesome. I like this. Maybe Ramsey from uh, Game of Thrones. 
think I hated him okay. just about as equal as Todd. Mm. It was very. I think you can make that argument. Yeah. yeah. It's very satisfying when he got what was coming to him. Whoa, spoilers. Man. <laughs> yes, it was. I guess we're past uh, the time, though, so go ahead. Did he get his head cut off? I can't remember. I just know they had the Battle of the Bastards, and Jon Snow fucked him up. She had she had his dogs eat him. That's right. Sansa did. Yeah. She fed him to his own dogs. Nice. Gotcha. You should give that show another chance. I never gave it a chance. Oh, I thought you watched the first episode. No. no. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> Why did I think you watched the first episode? I think I talked about trying to watch it. What was it on HBO? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, maybe. How many seasons was it? But they're like seven. But they're like like Eight. the the last few seasons are like two hour episodes, right? Like movie. They're length. longer. I got to commit myself. Less episodes, longer shows. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There's like a couple here and there that are longer. Like that Battle mm-hmm. of the Bastards episode was oh, long. Man. That one was like a fucking movie. Like the way they mm-hmm. shot that, that one oh, was yeah. really good. Like you have a gift. Like you can just go tomorrow and start watching Game of Thrones having never seen it before. Like if I that can. was me, I'd lock myself in my basement for the, <laughs> for the next but week. But I do know what happens. Fucking Ramsey's <laughs> eating by his own dogs. What's the point? I get it. I mean, that's just amazing. If I could do that tomorrow, I wouldn't do anything else. I'd be interested to see, like, hear what you think Game of Thrones is. Just like what you've heard from us for the past three years, compile that into what you think the show's about. Maybe instead uh, <laughs> over the uh, Necro Night at the Movies, uh, instead of doing like a movie one month, I'll just watch all of Game of Thrones and then we'll just make an episode on Game of Thrones and that'll be the Necro Night at the Movies. You're going to watch all eight seasons? Well, like by the, we'll get to it okay. uh, down the line, but once I finish it, we could just do a show on Game of Thrones and... I'll give you my initial thoughts and you guys can just, you know, talk about how much you fucking loved it and whatever else. And chalk this up to things that we don't follow up on. Maybe though. Maybe (laughs) I would do this. I don't know. I need to, I need to watch something new. It's been a long time since I've watched something new. I'll watch it all again. If we're going to do this. Oh yeah, I would too. I just discovered, uh, over Memorial day weekend, history channel did a little mini series on Teddy Roosevelt that I missed somehow. So I've been, I don't think I saw that either. Watching. I don't think because history channels not on YouTube TV. That's true. I think that's why we missed it. So it's only like, I don't know, four hours or so, but mm. just limited time. So I'm, I'm going to work through that first because I got to watch Teddy Roosevelt. Of course. Then we'll see. Maybe I'll do some Game of Thrones for a future topic. I would rewatch that. I wouldn't even say you have to. I'm just saying, yeah. no, I watch I would, it, we can discuss it. You're like, no, I, oh, this I is my excuse. <laughs> it's for work. Got to watch it. It's like 90 degrees. I don't want to go outside anymore. Yeah, you did your three-mile walk. You're good for a month. All right. Well, we really had a bit of a thing here at the end. Anything else? We good? Yeah, I'm going to go home and watch the Skinwalker Ranch show. There you go. Any other spoilers we got to throw out? Um, No, I don't think so. That'd be kind of rude. Well, at this point, though. Mm, No, I got nothing. Okay. Next week. More spoilers coming at you. <laughs> well, That's right. It's a spoiler show. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> that Seinfeld crew, they went to prison at the end of that. Show. That was terrific. <laughs> I really love that. They really did. And then there, what's awesome is it was before like the era of like, well, you just make a movie to do another finale. And so it was Curb Your Enthusiasm that got to do a whole sure, season on sure. a remake. George was married, right? Didn't he inherit a bunch of money? 
but then his wife took some of it and he lost all of his, but she invested her. So she still had all yeah, her money. Something like that. <laughs> Jerry, they're also living in the same place. Some, yeah, that's, that's good shit. All right. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod, patreon.com slash Necronomapod, Necronomapod.com for our what do we got stickers still going on up there sure do and amazon.com search necronomapod for all of our clothing merch thank you all right you guys ready for a cool down beer cheers